Blog Talk Radio. Hello, my name is Jason Dyes, and along with Kiki Culpepper, we are the ChristCast 2020 podcast. During this difficult time, as we're all dealing with the coronavirus, we're making our channel available to our Christian friends to broadcast Bible studies and sermons and lessons for Christian students who are home now doing their courses online. I like to remind people that the Apostle Paul changed the world in a pair of flip-flops with no phone, with no internet, with no podcasts, no churches, and no Bible. If you ever want to listen to the ChristCast 2020 podcast, all you have to do is Google ChristCast 2020 or say, Alexa, play ChristCast 2020 podcast on TuneIn. We're happy to present the midweek Bible study hosted by Jim Taylor from Grace Church here in New Braunfels, Texas. Enjoy. Well, good morning. There's an old Chinese curse that condemns those who are cursed to live in interesting times. And this is certainly an interesting time. It's changing the way we live, the way we play, the way we work. It's caused worries and fears about family and all sorts of things. But for us as believers, it has not changed the fact that God loves us and that we are assured of his mercy of his forgiveness. And I thought this morning we would talk about some of the things from the Bible that are applicable in this crisis of the coronavirus. And I suspect that all of us, given our age, are familiar with Franklin Roosevelt's dictum that the only fear that the, the only thing that we have to fear is fear itself. But I also suspect that few of us remember that this was part of his inaugural address after his first election to president in 1932. And I also suspect that even fewer of us know that he went on to say that this fear is nameless, it's unreasoning, and it's unjustified terror which, in effect, paralyzes us. And we may also forget that he was talking about the Great Depression, which was possibly the last time in the United States that we had this all-encompassing condition that was changing the way that we live. He went on to talk about the things that had to be done to recover from the Great Depression. These things included getting people back to work, changing our mindsets from pessimism to optimism, taking care of each other. And he said that it would require swift legislative action on the part of the Congress. And then, once those laws were enacted, that we would have to be obedient to them and respond to what the government was telling us to do. And that's no different than today. We have the same fears and concerns. We have the same things that we have to do. 
But the reason that I'm talking about this is because President Roosevelt ended that speech with these words. We humbly ask the blessing of God. May he protect each and every one of us. And I can't imagine what the New York Times would say if President Trump were to say something like that. So that's a difference. There was more of a collective belief in God back in those days. And it's something that we've gotten away from. And we've gotten away from it because we've gotten away from the Word. God's Word. And today, just as we were then, we're fearful. Fearful that maybe we or our children will lose our jobs or their jobs. That our children may lose their places in school and universities. That we may not be able to feed ourselves or feed our family. Or in the end that we or someone we love will fall victim to this virus that's sweeping across the nation and the world. So I thought we'd start today, just as President Roosevelt finished his speech, by asking for God's mercy. So if we could pray. Father, we're here today to follow your guidance. We're here today to worship you. We're here today to ask for your blessing, for your guidance, for your wisdom, and for the ability to understand what you told us in the Bible, in your holy word. We ask that you would bless us in this endeavor. Bless our church as we're spread out now and can't come together for the time being to worship you as a church family. Keep us together in spirit. Lead us in this endeavor. And we ask these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So for today's discussion, what I thought I'd do is start with a question. We're believers. We're Christians. And we come to this crisis with instincts that have been developed over the course of our lives, with habits that have been developed over the course of our lives. And so this morning, I would ask you, what are you instinctively told to do? What have you habitually done in the past that will work today? You can really divide this into two or three different pots. One of those pots would be this social distancing thing that we've been told to do. So do we socially distance ourselves so that we're separated from every potential source of infection? Or do we interact as safely as we possibly can with others who may need our help, our comfort, our assistance, particularly those who 
don't have God to rely on? Do we help them? And I think individually we answer that question based on what we become comfortable with during our lifetimes as believers, the habits that we've developed. And I was, I want to give you an example that comes from a devotional that I read the other day that was authored by a woman named Janet Dennison. She and her husband Jim are well-known evangelists up in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And this particular devotional was based on a book that she had read written by a woman named Tommy Jo Schultz. Tommy Jo was a pilot for Southwest Airlines, and you probably remember her from an incident in 2018 when she was the pilot for Flight 1380 from LaGuardia Airport in New York to DFW in Dallas when one of those two engines on that plane exploded catastrophically. The explosion cut the hydraulic and electrical lines that allow her to control the airplane. It blew out a part of the airplane's fuselage, sucked one of the women passengers partially out of it and killed her, and left the airplane itself filled with smoke and loud noise and a violent shuddering tremor, a severe vibration. Mrs. Schultz describes it in her book, Nerves of Steel, with these words. Amid the confusion, I have a forced moment of solitude. I cannot see, I cannot hear, and I cannot breathe. I am isolated in one of life's brief pauses and the adrenaline compresses my thoughts into an instant. This isn't the first time I've flown without all the information I need. It isn't the first time I've come close to disaster. My thoughts are distilled to their simplest form, bad news or good news. The bad news, with this fierce, abusive shuddering, I'm not sure everything we need to stay in flight will remain attached to the aircraft. This might be the day I meet my maker face to face. The good news, we're still flying. So it's time to get to work. As you might guess, Ms. Schultz is a Christian. And in this particular time of stress, she instinctively turned to God. And even later, when they listened to the tapes of the flight deck conversation, she heard that she said, Heavenly Father, something that she didn't know that she had done until that time. And she explains this in her book, as an automatic response, she writes this, habits, good and bad, become instincts under pressure. 
In other words, the choices we make every day become our reflex on bad days. And she goes on to say that one of her lifelong habits was to turn to God for help when things were difficult in her life. And she did that this time. And she says the peace that followed her prayer provided a stillness that for her steadied her thoughts, allowed her to work her way through the things that she had to do during this crisis. And then she writes, I've come to realize since the events of Flight 1380 that hope may not change our circumstances, but it always changes us. Which is to say that while we cannot rely on hope to fix the things that we have to fix, the hope that God gives us will give us the wherewithal to fix them. And she realized that she had to find a different destination. And she picked the Philadelphia airport. And when she did, she announced it to the passengers and to the flight crew. She told them that we are landing in Philadelphia. At the time, she didn't know if they could make it to Philadelphia. And if they made it, she didn't know that they could land the airplane. But she didn't tell them that. Instead, she offered her passengers and her flight crew hope that allowed them to find some peace and be calm amid the chaos that ensued. Hope didn't change their circumstances, but it changed their outlook on life. It changed them. And this is where we find ourselves today. In a coronavirus, it may well change not just our circumstances today, but our lives in the future. And we find ourselves searching for immediate solutions for problems that we've never faced before. And so I would ask you again, how do the habits that we've developed as Christians, as believers, carry us through this particular crisis? And I think the first thing that we think about when we look at that question, think about that question, we fall back on faith. Just as we have in innumerable times in our lives. Faith in God. And here, we choose faith instead of fear. Because we know that our faith will get us through this particular crisis. The Bible tells us this in numerous places, too many to mention here, but I'm going to highlight one and it comes from Psalm 56 verses 3 and 4, which tells us, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. 
in God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? What can flesh do to me? To put it in context, David wrote this psalm when he was captured by the Philistines. Floyd Taylor has been talking about this particular episode in David's life for the last two or three Sundays in Sunday school. David was a hero. He killed Goliath. He became one of King Saul's favorites. Saul even gave David his daughter to marry until David became so popular that people were turning to him instead of to Saul, and he became one of Saul's, maybe Saul's public enemy number one, and Saul tried everything that he could to capture him and to kill him. So David is leading a band of men out in the desert, and he's captured by the Philistines, for whom he had worked just a little bit. And he's living in fear. But instead of succumbing to that fear, David turns to his Redeemer because he has faith that God will deliver him. Because he knows that God is stronger than his enemies. Just as we know that God will deliver us from this pandemic. And we know this because God tells us this. And he tells us this again throughout the Bible. But again, I'm going to give you one scripture that you can put your faith into. And it comes from the book of John. Chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. And you know John 3, 16. But maybe not so much verse 17. John tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. Saved through God saved through Jesus Christ. And you know, we can sit in our homes now that we've been told to stay at home and not gather. And while we're there, we can rejoice that our government, those people who have been appointed by God, all those scientists, doctors, and researchers, they're hard at work trying to develop a cure and a vaccine for this disease. And while we put our faith in them, our trust in them, because we know that God is leading them, we also trust that God will lead them to a solution. A solution that will get us out of the condition that we're in right now. And while we do that, we share our hope in God. Remember we talked about Tammy Joe giving hope to her passengers and crew. God gives us hope every day. Paul tells us this in Romans 15, verse 13. 
May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Abound in hope. What is that? For that means that, for me, that means that God gives us the hope that we can live and rejoice in because we know that he is with us. And that's what Paul is telling us. We can count on God to fulfill what yet remains to be accomplished by us and for us. And just as Tammy Joe's passengers look forward to landing in Philadelphia and getting out of that damaged airplane, we can look forward to the day that this fear of the coronavirus is behind us. Tammy Joe's book was titled Nerves of Steel because that's what one of one of the passengers on that airplane said about her. Our pilot had nerves of steel. And for those passengers, she was a hero. She stepped up that day when she was needed. So I would ask you now, after this virus is over, are we going to be heroes to our family, to our friends, to those people around us? Are we going to be heroes because we answered God's call? And when we think about that question, we look for opportunities to do the things that God wants us to do. And those opportunities are going to be boundless because we're going to know people who lose their jobs. We're going to know people who got sick. We're going to know families who maybe lost a loved one to this disease. And every day we're going to meet and know people who are discouraged, they're angry, they're scared, and they're only focused on themselves and they forget about God. We're heroes as Christians when we take notice of them and when we help them. Because Jesus wants to help all of us, all of these people that we're talking about. And he wants to help them through us. And so the question for us today is, are we ready to be that tool, that instrument of Jesus Christ to help people who need help in this crisis? And because we are believers, we know that we are. We are ready. The Bible tells us this. Ephesians 2, verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has prepared us for this. God has given us the tools to do this. And most importantly, as believers, we know that we should do this without fear. Fear for ourselves, fear for our families, fear for whatever. Matthew 10, 26, 31. 
This is Jesus speaking to us. So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. When I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Jesus was being persecuted by the religious leaders of the day. They were afraid of him. They were afraid that he was going to upend their rule and their power and their influence. And because he was God, he knew that they were going to kill him. And he's telling his believers, do not be afraid of death. Don't be afraid of those who persecute you. Listen to me and do not be ashamed to spread far and wide what I'm telling you. And that's where we are today. We are believers. We cannot be ashamed of Jesus Christ. We must spread the word. We must do the things that he tells us to do. And we end with this question. How do we do that? You might think that we're on the horns of a dilemma. The government on the one hand telling us to stay at home, not gather in groups of more than family-sized units, actually. And Jesus is telling us to spread the word, to get out and get about and do the things that he's told us to do. How do we make sense of those two conflicting philosophies. I think that we can do it in a multiple of ways. First thing we do is we maintain contact, maintain contact. We stay in touch with our families wherever they are. We stay in touch with our friends. We stay in church in in touch with our church family. We use email and telephones and Skype and Zoom and all of those things that we have available so that you can, in fact, encourage people to do the things that we've always done as Christians. Read the Bible together. Study the Bible. Reach out and, as best you can, touch people. If you know someone who needs food, when you go to the grocery store, buy some for them and bring it to their house. If they're unable to go through some brief contact, leave it on their doorstep and ring the doorbell. Cook a meal for your shut-ins and for those who may not be able to do it for themselves. And when you contact them, however it might be, telephone, Zoom or Skype or whatever, 
Instead of praying for them, pray with them. You could even read the Bible on the telephone. And we can donate to those organizations that are taking care of people. The Salvation Army, the Food Bank, the Church Food Pantry. There are multiple opportunities for us to use our time and treasure in a way that is consistent with the guidance given to us by the government to help people get through this crisis. And when we do it, we may not demonstrate that we have nerves of steel. But we can demonstrate that we have a heart of love. God be with you. Mm-hmm.